Chapter Twelve of Penrod. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Jonathan Burchard, March two thousand nine. Penrod, by Booth Tarkington, Chapter Twelve. Miss Rensdale accepts. One two three, one two three, glide," said Professor Bartet, emphasizing his instructions by a brisk collision of his palms at glide. One two three, one two three, glide. The school week was over, at last, but Penrod's troubles were not. Round and round the ballroom went the seventeen struggling little couples of the Friday afternoon dancing class. Round and round went their reflections with them, swimming rhythmically in the polished, dark floor, white and blue and pink for the girls, black with dabs of white for the white-collared, white-gloved boys, sparks and slivers of highlight everywhere as the glistening pumps flickered along the surface like a school of flying fish. Every small pink face, with one exception, was painstaking and set for duty. It was a conscientious little merry-go-round. One, two, three, one, two, three, glide! One, two, three, one, two, three, glide! Non to uh, Ha! Mr. Penrod Schofield, you lose the step. Your left foot. No, no, this is the left. See, like me. Now again. One, two, three, one, two, three, glide! Better, much better! Again! One, two, three, one... Gl stop! Mr. Penrod Schofield, this dancing class is provided by the kind parents of the pupilses as much to learn the manners of good societies as to dance. You think you shall ever see a gentleman in good societies to tickle his partner in the dance till she say, Ouch! Never! I assure you it is not done. Again, now then, piano please. One, two, three, one, two, three, glide! Mr. Penrod Schofield, your right foot, your right foot! No, no, stop! The merry-go-round came to a standstill. Mr. Penrod Schofield and partner, Professor Bartet wiped his brow. Will you kindly observe me? One, two, three, glide! So, now that no, you will please keep your places, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Penrod Schofield, I would particularly like your attention. This is for you. Pickin' on me again, murmured the smouldering Penrod to his small, unsympathetic partner. Can't let me alone a minute. Mr. Georgie Bassett, please step to the center, said the professor. Mr. Bassett complied with modest alacrity. Teacher's pet whispered Penrod hoarsely. He had nothing but contempt for Georgie Bassett. The parents, guardians, aunts, uncles, cousins, governesses, housemaids, cooks, chauffeurs, and coachmen, appertaining to the members of the dancing class, all dwelt in the same part of town and shared certain communal theories, and among the most firmly established was that which maintained Georgie Bassett to be the best boy in town. Contrarywise, the unfortunate Penrod, largely because of his recent dazzling but disastrous attempts to control forces far beyond him, had been given a clear title as the worst boy in town, population 135,000. To precisely what degree his reputation was the product of his own energies cannot be calculated. It was Marjorie Jones who first applied the description, in its definite simplicity, the day after the pageant, and possibly her frequent and effusive repetitions of it, even upon wholly irrelevant occasions, had something to do with its prompt and quite perfect acceptance by the community. 
Miss Rensdale will please do me the favor to be Mr. Georgie Bassett's partner for one moment, said Professor Bartet. Mr. Penrod Schofield will please give his attention. Miss Rensdale and Mr. Bassett, oblige me now, if you please. Others, please watch. Piano, please. Now then. Miss Rensdale, aged eight, the youngest lady in the class, and Mr. Georgie Bassett, one, two, three, glided with consummate technique for the better education of Penrod Schofield. It is possible that amber-curled, beautiful Marjorie felt that she, rather than Miss Rensdale, might have been selected as the example of perfection, or perhaps her remark was only woman. "'Stopping everything for that boy,' said Marjorie. Penrod, across the circle from her, heard distinctly. Nay, he was obviously intended to hear, but over a scorched heart he preserved a stoic front." whereupon marjorie whispered derisively in the ear of her partner maurice levy who wore a pearl pin in his tie again please everybody ladies and gentlemen cried professor bartet mr penrod schofield if you please pay particularly attention piano please now then the lesson proceeded at the close of the hour professor bartet stepped to the centre of the room and clapped his hands for attention ladies and gentlemen if you please to seat yourself quietly he said i speak to you now about tomorrow as you all know mr penrod schofield i am not sticking up in a tree outside that window if you do me the favor to examine i am here insides of the room now then piano please no i do not wish the piano as you all know this is the last session of the season until next october tomorrow is our special afternoon beginning three o'clock we dance the cotillon but this afternoon comes the test of manners you must see if each know how to make a little formal call like a grown-up people in good societies you have had good perfect instruction let us see if we know how to perform like societies ladies and gentlemen twenty-six years of age now when you're dismissed each lady will go to her home and prepare to receive a call the gentlemen will allow the ladies time to reach their houses and to prepare to receive callers then each gentleman will call upon a lady and beg the pleasure to engage her for a partner in these cotillion tomorrow. You all know the correct proper form for these calls, because didn't I work teaching you last lesson till I thought I would drop dead? Yes. Now each gentleman, if he reach a lady's house behind some other gentleman, then he must go somewhere else to a lady's house and keep calling until he secures a partner. So, as there are the same number of both, everybody shall have a partner. Now please remember all that in case, Mr. Penrod Schofield, when you make your call on a lady, I beg you to please remember that gentlemen in good societies do not scratch the back in societies as you appear to attempt. So please allow the hands to rest carelessly in the lap. Now please all remember that if in case, Mr. Penrod Schofield, if you please, gentlemen in societies do not scratch the back by causing frictions between it and the back of your chair either. Nobody else is itching here. I do not itch. I cannot talk if you must itch. In the name of heaven, why must you always itch? What was I saying? Where ah, the cotillon, yes. For the cotillon, it is important nobody shall fail to be here tomorrow. But if any one should be so very ill he cannot possible come, he must write a very polite note of regrets in the form of good societies to his engaged partner to excuse himself, and he must give the reason. I do not think anybody is going to be that sick tomorrow, no, and I will find out and report to parents if anybody would try it and not be. 
but it is important for the cotillon that we have an even number of so many couples, and if it should happen that someone comes and her partner has sent her a polite note that he has genuine reasons why he cannot come, the note must be handed at once to me, so that I arrange some other partner. Is all understood, yes? The gentlemen will remember now to allow the ladies plenty of time to reach their houses and prepare to receive calls. Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you for your polite attention. It was nine blocks to the house of Marjorie Jones, but Penrod did it in less than seven minutes from a flying start. Such was his haste to lay himself in his hand for the cotillon at the feet of one who had so recently spoken unamiably of him in public. He had not yet learned that the only safe male rebuke to a scornful female is to stay away from her, especially if that is what she desires. However, he did not wish to rebuke her. Simply and ardently, he wished to dance the cotillon with her. Resentment was swallowed up in hope. The fact that Miss Jones' feeling for him bore a striking resemblance to that of Simon Legree for Uncle Tom deterred him not at all. Naturally, he was not wholly unconscious that when he should lay his hand for the cotillon at her feet, it would be her inward desire to step on it, but he believed that if he were first in the field, Marjorie would have to accept. These things are governed by law. It was his fond intention to reach her house even in advance of herself, and with grave misgiving he beheld a large automobile at rest before the sainted gate. Forthwith, a sinking feeling became a portent inside him as little Maurice Levy emerged from the front door of the house. "'Lo, Penrod,' said Maurice airily. "'What you doin' in there?' inquired Penrod. "'In where?' "'In Marjorie's.' "'Well, what shouldn't I be doin' in Marjorie's?' Mr. Levy returned indignantly. "'I was inviting her for my partner in the cotillon. "'What you s'pose?' "'You haven't got any right to,' Penrod protested hotly. You can't do it yet. I did do it yet, said Maurice. You can't, insisted Penrod. You got to allow them time first. He said the ladies had to be allowed time to prepare. Well, ain't she had time to prepare? When, Penrod demanded, standing close to his rival threateningly. I'd like to know when. When, echoed the other with a shrill triumph. When? Why, in Mama's sixty-horse-powder limousine automobile, what Marjorie came home with me in. I guess that's when. An impulse in the direction of violence became visible upon the countenance of Penrod. I expect you need some wiping down, he began dangerously. I'll give you something to remit. Oh, you will, Maurice cried with astonishing truculence, contorting himself into what may have been considered a posture of defense. Let's see you try it, you, you itcher. For the moment, defiance from such a source was dumbfounding. Then, Luckily, Penrod recollected something and glanced at the automobile. Perceiving therein not only the alert chauffeur, but the magnificent outlines of Mrs. Levy, his enemy's mother, he maneuvered his lifted hand so that it seemed that he meant but to scratch his ear. "'Well, I guess I'd better be going,' he said casually. "'See you tomorrow.' Maurice mounted to the lap of luxury, and Penrod stole away with an assumption of careless ease, which was put to a severe strain when, from the rear window of the car, a sudden protuberance in the nature of a small, dark, curly head shrieked scornfully, "'Go on, you big stiff!' The cotillon loomed dismally before Penrod now, but it was his duty to secure a partner, and he set about it with a dreary heart. The delay occasioned by his fruitless attempt on Marjorie and the altercation with his enemy at her gate had allowed other ladies ample time to prepare for callers, and to receive them. 
Sadly, he went from house to house, finding that he had been preceded in one after the other. Altogether, his hand for the cotillon was declined eleven times that afternoon on the legitimate grounds of previous engagement. This, with Marjorie, scored off all except five of the seventeen possible partners, and four of the five were also sealed away from him, as he learned in chance encounters with other boys upon the street. One lady alone remained. He bowed to the inevitable and entered this lorn damsel's gate at twilight with an air of great discouragement. The lorn damsel was Miss Rensdale, aged eight. We are apt to forget that there are actually times of life when too much youth is a handicap. Miss Rensdale was beautiful. She danced like a premiere. She had every charm but age. On that account alone had she been allowed so much time to prepare to receive callers that it was only by the most manful efforts she could keep her lip from trembling. A decorous maid conducted the long-belated applicant to her, where she sat upon a sofa beside a nursery governess. The decorous maid announced him composedly as he made his entrance. "'Mr. Penrod Schofield!' Miss Rensdale suddenly burst into loud sobs. "'Oh!' she wailed. "'I just knew it would be him!' The decorous maid's composure vanished at once, likewise her decorum. She clapped her hand over her mouth and fled, uttering sounds. The governess, however, set herself to comfort her heartbroken charge, and presently succeeded in restoring Miss Rensdale to a semblance of that poise with which a lady receives callers and accepts invitations to dance cotillons. But she continued to sob at intervals. Feeling himself at perhaps a disadvantage, Penrod made offer of his hand for the morrow with a little embarrassment. Following the form prescribed by Professor Bartet, he advanced several paces toward the stricken lady and bound formally. "'I hope,' he said by rote, "'you're well, and your parents also in good health. May I have the pleasure of dancing the cotillon as your partner tomorrow afternoon?' The wet eyes of Miss Rensdale searched his countenance without pleasure, and a shudder wrung her small shoulders. But the governess whispered to her instructively, and she made a great effort. "'I th th thank you for, for, for your polite inv inv invitation, and I ac Thus far she progressed when emotion overcame her again. She beat frantically upon the sofa with fists and heels. "'Oh, I did want it to be Georgie Bassett!' "'No, no, no,' said the governess, and whispered urgently, whereupon Miss Rensdale was able to complete her acceptance. "'And, and I, I accept what, what with pl pleasure,' she moaned, and immediately, uttering a loud yell, flung herself face downward upon the sofa, clutching her governess convulsively. Somewhat disconcerted, Penrod bowed again. "'I thank you for your polite acceptance,' he murmured hurriedly, "'and I trust, I trust, I forget. "'Oh, yes, I trust we shall have a most enjoyable occasion. "'Pray present my compliments to your parents, "'and I, not, and I must now wish you a very good afternoon.' Concluding these courtly demonstrations with another bow, he withdrew in fair order, though thrown into partial confusion in the hall by a final wail from his crushed hostess. "'Oh, why couldn't it be anybody but him?' End of chapter 12